Doc Talk time. That means Dr. Jenna is here. We're in the Zoom sphere. We are going to be talking about the opioid crisis. It hits home for everyone. And I think one of the scariest things about the opioid crisis is it is indiscriminate and anybody can be come victim to this crisis. And I, I use the word victim because I, I really think it's, we become victims to what these painkillers can do for us. We're gonna have a good talk about it. We're gonna, we're gonna work our way through it. As I said, Dr. Jen is here. It's the James Cast, Potaholics time. Let's go, let's do it. Jenna, once again, we're back. Good day, James. <laughs> nice to see you uh, in, in your Zoom sphere. That's what I call it. It's the Zoom cast, right? We, we it is, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the name because there's got to be a name. And I don't know. I like to call it the Zoom sphere, but it's a Zoom cast. I don't know what we call them. but It's the James cast Zoom cast. Yeah, that's I think. it. That's it. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because I do actually feel like I can see you really well, even though we are on Zoom. It feels like I touch base on a regular regular basis even though it's usually via zoom well and and actually this has got nothing to do with our podcast today but i'm gonna leave it in is i feel with with some folks andrew being one of them a little video is the way we because our schedules are just so different it's easier to meet with people now because of covid this is kind of really pushed doing this whereas pre-covid we never met like this and we never did things like this. It's only since COVID kicked in that Zoom became a viable way. And I know there's lots of other uh, tools, Squadcast, Riverside FM. I've tried one of them and it it bugged out on me. Maybe it's because where the servers were. So I've just stayed with Zoom. <laughs> I, same though, James, I'd never even heard of Zoom. I'd never heard of Zoom pre last year. And now I use it every day to speak to family and friends. Yeah. Zoom did quite well out of COVID, I think. I think so. <laughs> and I think things get better and better and better with it all the time. And yeah. uh, if you're if you're dealing with family stuff, you've got to get your mm-hmm app dialed in too then, Jenna. you got to go check that MMHMM. Go check out that app. Because it, it oh, does, some, does some cool stuff with backgrounds and things and stuff. And yeah, it's cool. Big, big oh, show great. to those guys. Thank you for the tip. Thank <laughs> so you for the tip, James. Let, let's jump back into it. It is Doc Talk for those who are just joining us and saying, okay, what's going on here? Last episode, we talked pain. And as we were talking about pain, we we're talking about the different types of pain. Pain's a, a weird thing because it's very personal in that my threshold to pain and how I'm interpreting pain could be different to how you're interpreting pain and your thresholds of pain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At the end of that conversation, we started talking about pain management. We started talking about different kinds of of pharmaceuticals that might be used. And we started to touch on opioids and we, we really just had a nice introduction to them. And that's where we kind of left it. And it was, okay, we got to come back to this conversation. Well, we're back. <laughs> yeah, we are. And it's, it's, we can't talk about pain without talking about opioid dependence, can we? Because the two go hand in hand. And, you know, you mentioned about pain being so subjective, and that's so true. And the biggest discriminator I find with subjectivity is gender. Yeah. Men just can't handle pain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's usually, no, I'm, I'm joking on that point, but um, it is, it's, it's very subjective. And some people tend to need more pain meds than others. And therefore, that can predispose them to, 
using more, requiring more, and then creating this dependence that that we have. And it's huge, especially in America. They have massive problems. UK, same. You often find it's more of a uh, a kind of a, the curse of a richer, wealthier country tends to have more issues with opioid management. I, I have some statistics from the World Health Organization and one of their statistics just on drug use in general. And what I'm not sure is if they're talking just prescription and illicit drugs, but they have a number. 275 million people or 5.5% of the global population age 15 to 64 use drugs at least once in 2019. Among them, 62 million people worldwide used opioids. And about 36.3 million people suffered from drug use disorders in 2019. And most of these people were dependent on opioids and they used illicitly cultivated and manufactured things like heroin, et cetera. Those numbers are huge. They are. And just to kind of give a bit of a backdrop into what what are opioids and what is opioid dependence and how does it occur? So an opioid, people will not even realise, is in a tablet that you can often buy in the UK over the counter. So it's usually like a morphine type medication and and it's derivatives of that as well. So if you pick up a cocodamol in the UK, really common, you know, thing that someone would buy over the counter that has got codeine and it also has paracetamol in it that is an opioid so you are taking an opioid ah. and it's just it's just a much weaker version of effectively heroin you know they're, they're sorry not heroin morphine right. they're all just sort of on the on, on the scale and what happens is people will just start taking them or you'll be prescribed them usually for a very short period of time we try and keep the prescription between three to five days that's that's the sort of advice that we're given now is to try and keep it as short as possible however that does not always happen and often they are prescribed for about two weeks a month, um, depending on an injury or the, pe- the, the pain that they have and, and what pain relief they've had previously. And what happens is they basically produce an endorphin release, so you'll feel okay. good hormones. That's but where the, the happy side you, comes in. People feel good taking these. They... I don't know if you've ever taken an opioid. Um, I've had I've had different types of opioids in the past, whether it's been uh, because you've... you've broken some ribs or um, I I perforated an eardrum and and therefore I did get a prescription. I don't like them. They make me feel totally spaced out. Uh, I'm quite sensitive to them and people also have different sensitivities to opioids. So they tend to make me quite nauseous and sickly. That's one of their side effects. However, for other people, they tolerate them quite well and they actually make, they're made to feel quite good, a little bit spaced out, but they like the feeling. And the longer that people are prescribed that medication, the more tolerance they get. So initially they feel great maybe channel down to a few months um, that they've been taking these medications and a few months later they don't really get that feel good effect anymore and they'd have to take a little bit more medication and take them off the medication entirely and they feel a little bit flat and not quite not quite as good and therefore they start to seek the that opioid high effectively Uh, and that's where the problems are so they will start to ask go into A&E departments go into the GP make pretend ailments say that you know that these medications really work for me um and then when they don't get prescribed those they get blacklisted of be very careful prescribing opioids for this particular patient which does happen and they are the opioid seeking we would say or drug seeking then they'll start going to the black market and start getting other types of medication that potentially are a lot more dangerous often have all the chemicals attached to them in a bid to try and make this same medication that they were prescribed in the hospital so the, the first thing that comes from this conversation is how indiscriminate this type of medication is from, 
young adults to older folks. It cuts across socioeconomic backgrounds. It cuts across gender. This type of medication can be very addictive is and, and, and to everyone. And as you said, it's the, 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 the effect that it has on us, especially if you have pain and, and, you know, the, the ongoing effect of easing things, etc. It's easy to, it's, that's, that's the addictive side of it. That's the piece that you keep craving. Yeah, that's it. It gives you something that you don't get otherwise. And people like it. They want it. It makes them feel good and often makes them manage their life better, depending on how sensitive they are. So there's a few predispositions. So there are some people that will be more in, more inclined to become addicted to them. And that is one, how bad their pain is initially. So how much, what level of opioid are they prescribed? A stronger opioid will give you a stronger endorphin type effect. So what level of opioid are they prescribed? How long is the really important one? How long are they prescribed it for? And, and the longer a, they're prescribed it for. Is there a, a time limit, Jenna, that, that you as a medical practitioner are sort of you know, the danger zone comes after that five days or six days or seven days. Is there that? Can we speak in those generalities? Not really. It's basically you want to prescribe somebody the the lowest type of pain relief. And we mentioned this last time, the lowest level of pain relief for the shortest amount of time. And you find that three to five days is quite a sweet spot. So somebody might rupture a tendon or, or, or pull a muscle, whatever. You can give them that pain relief. Try and give it for just a really short amount of time. The reality is, though, if somebody's had surgery to a knee replacement or whatever it may be, uh, and, and they might be in less so in the replacement. Actually, they they tend to recover quite quickly. But say someone's had major surgery, they're going to be on opioids for a little while. There are other medications that you can try and give or you can manage with, but it, it will often be a two week prescription that, that that person takes home with them. And we're really working to try and change our prescribing habits. Uh, that's something that the whole medical industry is trying to do as a whole. And for instance. If, I'm, if I prescribe tramadol over a codeine, tramadol has slightly more addictive properties and can make people really crave it a little bit more. And and so it depends on, one, how long they're prescribed, what drug they're prescribed, and also whether this person tends to have quite addictive personality traits anyway. So I think we've talked about that in the past, that yeah. there will be people that are just, they'll, you'll, you'll find they might have, be a heavy smoker, they might have had an alcohol addiction, whatever. They're just people that generally have that slightly more addictive type personality. So as as a medical practitioner, how how are you trained to deal with these folks who, look, they've, they've got, had the prescription for five, seven days, maybe it's been a little bit longer. They're starting, they're on the, they're on the, the, the just the edge of, feeling a little bit more like, hey, I just want more of this stuff. Yeah, the pain's going away, but I could use just a little bit more to get over the hump. But getting over that hump could be a dependency setting in. How do you deal with these people? Because you're, you know, folks like me who are going to come in and it's like, I'm in pain. I need it. You got to help me. It's just a little bit more. And how, how do you do it? Well, first and foremost, you don't prescribe them opioids. So yeah. <laughs> you, there is there is a point where you you then have to take that medication away and just say, look, there's, I'm so sorry because obviously they, they they might still even be in pain at this point, but that's not what they're seeking. They are seeking the pain relief, but they're also seeking something else, the added added extra that you don't you don't want them to get addicted to. So you would have to say, look, I think it's time that we start looking at changing your medications. In the UK, we're really lucky because we have pain teams. We have uh, 
I think I mentioned to you last time, we have anaesthetists that have become specially trained in pain. We have pain nurses and it would be an appropriate referral to to, to somebody that could potentially alter the medications. If it's quite basic, we will do it ourselves. But if it's someone with more complex needs, you'd get them, get the pain team involved and they could help monitor them. And at that point, the pain team would be looking at alternative type treatment. So is there an alternative medication we've not tried for that type of pain that, that and, and this new drug would work quite well for? Is it that they need to have some psychiatric input that we need to start wow, okay. looking after this potential addiction that is creating is there something else that we can do is it cbt talking therapies that could help and then there are other sort of more alternative treatments like using radio waves maybe they need um there's lots of different things like acupuncture whatever there's lots of different other treatments that we have that we can try and see if that helps and that might also help with trying to reduce that addiction too one of the one of the numbers that I've I've been seeing with drug overdoses is that about seventy percent of drug overdoses. These are American stats where the opioid crisis, North America, it's it's just it alarm bells are going off. Even yeah. during COVID time, they're saying, "Look, the, the 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 crisis has gotten worse, and the number of deaths are are significant." Seventy percent of drug overdose deaths in the United States, and this is in two thousand nineteen. That's seventy thousand people. That's a small town involved in opioid. And that's, that's crazy. If you take too many opioids, what happens is it actually causes respiratory depression. And that means you effectively stop somebody breathing. And I, I will never, ever, ever forget my first year out of university. And I got a phone call to say this little old lady had a respiratory rate of four and she'd effectively been prescribed too many opioids. A respiratory, a respiration rate of four Pretty low that, James. Are we talking like, isn't that usually, what, what's what's the high side? Like 100? Uh, a respiratory rate. I think it'd be impossible to take 100 breaths. In, oh, so in how many breaths? Is, is it breaths, could, a, actually, yeah. breaths a minute? That's what we're talking about? Yeah, so it was breaths, breaths per minute. And so she's doing normally four looking at around 15, 20. Four she was saying four. <laughs> she was she was really in a bad way. Let, let's just put this into context. I ran from the doctor's mess where we'd just gone to have lunch and I ran to the ward very, very quickly because uh, I might prescribe an opioid for you and you tolerate it really well. That same dose for somebody that's maybe got a lower body weight, maybe a little bit more fragile, a little old lady, very hasn't got an, an increased sensitivity to opioids, doesn't tolerate it so well. And so that dose to her was very, very potent, even though it was a very typical right dose of, of codeine or whatever it was that we'd given at the time. And there is an agent that you can give that can reverse the, um, the, the opioid. However, if you're at home, you've decided you want to get that high from the opioid, you want the endorphin release, you take higher dose than your body can tolerate, then it will cause respiratory depression. You won't get the amount of oxygen in that you need to survive. If, if we, I mean, just in my mind, we know that this is an issue. We know that this type of medication can cause extreme addiction and more mortality what can we do i mean you're you're on the front lines you're talking with other other medical practitioners what's the conversation about okay where do we go from here what how do we fix this issue or is it not fixable it's definitely changeable fixable i'm not sure but i think we can work to change it and we are working to change it 
The problem is, is opioids are a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant pain reliever. They really do do their job very well. And so it's very easy to, to make a prescription for an opioid. It will, it will definitely help with pain. There's no doubt about it. And currently we don't have anything else that works quite as well, especially for short term pain management. So the, the issue is, is how can we change our prescriptions? How can we make safer prescriptions? And that is one, changing our ethos as a community so that we work. It was changing the culture of prescribing, changing standards, nice standards that we have, um, again, in, in the UK, changing things that are recommended um, by the World Health Association, etc. So, So we need a pressure to change, really, and then that can help us change our culture. But we also need to have something else that we can prescribe. And we are working on that. There's a lot of experimental tests that are going on to try and produce better pain relief that are non-opioid based uh, and the problem is with any medication and especially with pain relief is they often have significant side effects and or they're not particularly well tolerated so we're getting there um but it is so slow and that's just purely because there's just not enough medications available so i guess it's about channeling our research into alternative forms of pain relief and i mentioned to you last time people with chronic pain now there are courses people can go on to help manage the pain there are there are little kits they can take at home that have got maybe ultrasound that that can help manage the pain but it's you know it, it takes a committed patient as well to try and want to do that and to want to not be on opioids I, and I guess part of the issue becomes, as you say, with the committed patient, we've all been in pain ourselves. We've been around people in pain and it's hard. I mean, in that moment, you just want the relief. It's like, yeah, I can do this and I can do that, but I just want the pain to go away. Well, I mean, I'll never forget. I was a medical student. I perforated my eardrum and I went into A&E and it was pre me knowing about opioid seeking. And I just remember begging them for like, just give me anything, anything that will take the pain away. And they all sort of were looking at each other thinking, who is, who's this chick? Is she trying to get um, some opioids? But it is, it's a desperation feeling, isn't it? It's just, I'll do anything. I'll worry about the addiction tomorrow, but give me the pain relief now. And it's very hard to see somebody in pain and to ignore it. You want to, make them feel better and it's part of our job as, as physicians to try and keep people out of pain so it's quite a complicated process i think that's what i'm saying and it takes input from researchers it takes input from the bodies that regulate us it takes input from the doctors themselves and it also takes input from the patients i, I wonder if another side of it is we just don't talk to each other about pain a, a lot like people are in pain but how often do you have someone in your family you know, husband, wife, children, cousins, nephews, sisters, brothers, grandparents. I mean, you know, you look in the medicine cabinet and you see all the stuff in there, but we don't often sit down and have a heart to heart and say, okay, you know, what's going on? You know, how much pain are you in? What's going on? What are you taking? And, and have that ongoing conversation, a little bit of family policing. And I mean, I think everyone would reach out when you look again at the stats of, of the mortality because of drug overdoses and opioid issues. I don't think anyone wouldn't want to have that conversation with a loved one. And I'm almost positive that people in those situations who've got someone who, who, who dies because of, of an opioid overdose go, I didn't know. We didn't know. We, you know, that I'm sure that that those words get uttered. Well, it's hard, isn't it? Because if you don't know, you don't know. And it's very right. hard when somebody's probably quite defensive. If I say to you, James, 
can I just ask like how's it going with pain management is there any chance that you you know you, you think maybe you think about coming off them or whatever you'd be exceptionally defensive because you know it's wrong what you're doing you're frightened about someone finding out and taking away those medications it's a very very sensitive sensitive topic and I guess all you can do is keep communication channels open with your friends for any reason whether it's because of depression anxiety or because you're worried about addictions to pain relief it's just keeping communication going and just sending that message saying look here we need to have a chat give a little phone call every now and again you know, that, that's all that you can do. It's very, very hard. And ultimately, it's for us as well to just encourage people, anybody out there, if you are worried that you are getting addicted to pain relief medication, you feel, I'll just take one tonight and worry about it tomorrow. If you get to that sense, don't don't be afraid to talk to somebody. We will do our best to try and manage your pain. We're not necessarily saying that we're going to pull the rug from under your feet and say, right, well, that's it. You'll just have to be in pain for the rest of your life. There are things that we can do to try and make you feel good that just aren't opioids and, and try and have that conversation with your physician earlier. So sooner rather than later, because the later it goes, doesn't mean we can't help you. It just it means it's a little bit more difficult. And as you said, there's desperation can set in. And so going to a different clinic, going to a walk-in clinic, going to an yeah. NE, I, I, I wonder if, and this is just going off in a slightly different direction because I'm just I'm just I'm just hung up on what can we do about this. I wonder if all the television shows we now see that are have in some way often there's a lot of dramas that touch on opioid addiction by design for sure to to make us aware that these things happen and what what it can look like and how it can sneak up on us. Do, do, do you do you see it getting any better? I mean, I know we kind of talked about this and yes, it's a great pain relief and it does its job. And yes, there's more research happening. But in the short term, do you, do you see us getting a leg up on opioids? Uh, not in the short term at the moment, to be honest. And I don't even think that is just a fault from hospitals or clinics worldwide. I think that it will be an increase in the black market of opioids. So even if we say, right, that's it, we're never going to prescribe an opioid again. The problem is, is that mental health is hugely increasing. People sort you know, were more inclined to speak out about mental health, but at the same time, are people getting the care that they need? There is a huge shortage of mental health practitioners, physicians, and we're not coping with the workload that, that is there. There are people that are not speaking out about what's going on, despite the fact that, as I say, we're a little bit more open to talking about mental health. And people effectively want to numb something. And the social media that, you know, I think I mentioned to you in a podcast years ago, the day social media came in, the rates of suicide in teenagers absolutely went up exponentially. And people will seek to feel better and they want a short-term fix. It's very hard for people to accept they don't feel good right now and to think they don't know when they're going to feel better. So yes, we need to change our prescribing habits, but ultimately opioids are still on the market. And I think we need to challenge mental health almost first. Um, it's, it's Again, it's really complicated. It's a huge worldwide burden. And I would love to think it'll get better, but I kind of feel like at the moment, even if opioids weren't there, there'd be something else taking its place. And that's quite a, it's quite a sad thing to say that, and I don't like to be so pessimistic, James. You're not usually pessimistic, just, but this is, you know, you're, you're being a realist right now, Jenna. I feel like it's a sad reality of the world that we live in, and we need to change We need to change that world somehow. And it's at the moment, it's not set to change. It's just getting worse, and COVID's not helped. The fact that we are, we've just said, we meet more via Zoom than we do in person. How sad is that? We're yeah. tactile creatures. We're meant to have human presence. 
and because you also said because schedules are so busy again we're not really coping with that we, we need more time more downtime more relaxation it's it's a huge complicated issue that you and i talking about it today is just not going to change sadly so all we can do is just look after ourselves and our little families and our friends and uh, and just try and keep ourselves grounded off social media as much as possible and and talk if we have a problem talk yeah. about it go and seek professional help quickly i think information is the key and and being aware and i know my my sons as as i said i had a I had a son who went and had some dental work and you know he had he had wisdom teeth removed and they gave him a couple of opioids they said look if you need them here's two pills that's all they would give him was two and he he was paranoid to take them he didn't take them I, I you know what he took one because he said it was just over over the top pain and he just so he had one he didn't have the other one and, and his response after I can see how people get addicted to this he says the pain was gone. I felt good, and he said, yeah, "I you do. absolutely it's, see it. It relaxes you. Yeah. It's, it's huge. They are hugely relaxing if they if they don't give you too many side effects. Some people, right. as I say, well, myself it. included, could never never take them because they make yeah. me so sick. And I think the more we talk about this, the more people talk about it. It's like, yeah, there's there's one side to it, but constipation, breathing, it could make you a little bit more anxious in some cases. There's lots of little things." Constipation is a huge thing, especially in the elderly community. You'll often get oncology patients, so people that have got um, palliative cancer, and they're on huge amounts of opioids because you're less worried about an addiction at that point. Right. And these people can get so constipated that their bowels get completely compacted, wow. and it's a real issue then to try and get their bowels, you know, flowing. And they can get something where their bowels grow so large they get toxic megacolon and effectively feces seep into the the intra-abdominal contents. Yeah. And it's it's really really you know that's that's life threatening. Yeah. so again people don't realize they're not pretty so you can take them they do make you feel good but no drug no drug no medicine even if it's prescribed as ever without side effects so and that's you know that's the key and it's just I, again you know talking about this knowing about it not sort of putting it in the, the so, oh no we're not going to deal with this we're going to ignore this and it's it, i think it touches all of us and it doesn't mean that you can't take opioids. It doesn't mean that they're not an appropriate medication to take at times. It's just be aware, know yourself when you're getting to that point that, oh, maybe I shouldn't be taking these. Hopefully your physician would be guiding you with that. But let's face it, that, that's not always the case. And just try and limit it. And as soon as you start to feel a little bit better, just knock them on the head, go back to some non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications and paracetamol. There we go. So there, there are other options. And the more we think about them, the and and look at those options the better off we're going to be it's it's that simple and, and also speak to your doctor because maybe there are medications or alternatives like nerve blocks etc that you don't even know about maybe you could use some, somebody that suffers with migraines and you could go and have sort of botox around the foreline and okay, it doesn't okay. or it doesn't 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 help everybody but um it can help a lot of people so there are other things you could try at least just try <laughs> no no harm Pain is is a huge conversation, and the the opioids are just one. They're very convenient; they work very well, but they're just one of the things that you can be using for pain. And you really, truly have to be thinking long and hard as you go down that pain route. And as as we said right off the top, they work so well, and there are so many medications that work so well that we sometimes don't think about the longer term picture and the other alternatives that might take more time to kick in, 
but might be healthier for us in the long run. Yes. And remember, if you if you do feel like that you're on opioids and you feel like you can't get off, there's no shame in it. I talk about people that might have a slightly more addictive personality trait. There's nothing you can do about that. Plus, a lot of people that don't have that addictive personality trait still get addicted to opioids. It is a known fact that they're addictive and it's your sort of the result of what is effectively a system that just isn't good enough for our pain so it's it's not your fault go and speak to somebody and please please do it sooner rather than later there we go that what a great conversation jenna as always informative entertaining and educational it's it's a complete package in doc talk and i really i'm not think, sure <laughs> no i i truly think that you've opened a door to, to us having that this conversation and thinking about it doing that reading listening and and talking talking to family friends keep the conversations going so that if if this is happening in your family you can at least know that you're doing your part to help mitigate it and, and sort through it drop, drop the shame and and live your life there we go jenna thank you very much this is Thanks, another edition of Potaholics and the James Cast, and it's Doc Talk with Dr. Jenna Burton.